Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette. Discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free. <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Uh, greetings, listeners. You're listening to Movie Oubliette, the Hemisphere Hopping Podcast with me, Dan, out of lockdown and enjoying socialising again in Melbourne, Australia. And me, Conrad, enjoying 5G via my second vaccine dose in Cambridge, UK. <laughs> In this podcast, we pour over the wonders of genre films, horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, because nothing gets the blood pumping more than lethal microbes, rapidly counting down self-destruct sequences, and of course, lasers. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Conrad, how are you today? I'm very well, yes, and quite excited to be fully vaccinated yeah. now. And I didn't even have any side effects from the second yeah. dose, actually. Yeah, so. I heard uh, with, with AZ, first dose, the worst, second dose, nothing. Uh, mm. The reverse for um, Pfizer, I heard. Second dose is the worst, yeah. Really? Ah, interesting. So no sign of vaccines in your neck of the woods, though? Uh, not for my age group yet. No. Uh, so I guess it's good to be young. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a safe bet, I guess. You're yeah. less likely to be hospitalised, I suppose. Hmm. But also you're out of lockdown, which is good news. Yeah, I mean, it was a very, it was a snap lockdown, two weeks, we got over it, back to, almost back to normal. Oh, that's good. Yeah, we're pretty much back to normal here and they're just oh, trying to decide yes. whether or not we can completely let go of all of the restrictions and start night clubbing and take the masks off. And I think the general consensus is probably not. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. so we shall see. But at least we can go to the cinema now and have a bit more fun. Mm, yes, yeah, the cinema is great. So have our listeners been talking to us in our socials, Conrad? They have indeed, yes. Eddie Coulter contacted us on Georgi Kropachov, one of the co-directors of V, the film we looked at in oh, our yes. last episode. Uh, Eddie said, great episode. Wow, Georgi worked on Hard to Be a God, which is a film from 2013. So he must have been 81 at the time that he did Ooh. for that movie. Wow. And Eddie said, that's also a rather unusual film. So, interesting. Could could oh. be worth checking out, that one. Yeah. We also heard from Melinda Mock, our guest <laughs> from the Night of the Comet episode from Retroblasting. And she said, I so enjoyed this episode, and now I have to find a copy of this movie I love Russian stroke Soviet films, although, granted, the only ones I've seen are The Day the Earth Froze, Jack Frost, and Come and See. I need to expand my list. Also, oh. your guest on this episode is charming. <laughs> Good old Lars. <laughs> Good old Lars, you're charming. There we go. 
And on Melinda's request to see more movies like this, Joe Lipsit pointed out that V is going to be part of Severin Films' big forthcoming sale. So if you did want to pick up V alongside various other interesting and perhaps obscure titles, then that might be your chance. Mm. Head on over to Severin and have a look at what they've got on offer. Yes, please check it out. Uh, Surge of Cold Crash Pictures. <laughs> oh, hey, Surge. Hey, Surge. He said, I liked V. It hasn't got the most riveting script, but it's short enough and weird enough that I enjoyed trying to figure it out for 77 minutes. But the one thing I take issue with is the idea that it ever passed for horror. Swap out the vodka for weed and this is a stoner comedy. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's very accurate. It could be, actually. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Lars was comparing it to the average Berliner's weekend. Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) I think they might be onto something. Uh (laughs) Unsexy Librarian replied to say, according to the adults in my life, that movie was a phenomenon. I assume the book is better because it's Gogol. Also, there are several remakes and they all suck. Modern (laughs) Russian horror is exquisitely derivative and very dumb. So there we go. Oh, okay. Not recommended. Good Good to know. Thank you, Unsexy Librarian. And finally, Matthew Fisher got in touch to say that he very much enjoyed our episode on Byzantium, which he hasn't even seen. Uh, also caught up on our episode on The Vanishing, which he found very good and said... Oh, wow, that's that, an old episode. Uh, it is, yeah. But he really enjoyed it. And he said that um, he liked that we pointed out that the Hollywood ending wasn't entirely a bad thing because it was good to have a female character save the day. Mm. Yeah, and it's Nancy Travis. so That's never a bad thing. And finally, I was thinking more about the task of selecting a film, and I had a childhood film come to me today, Frog Dreaming, a 1986 Australian film watched as a VHS rental back in the day, starring Henry Thomas straight after shooting to fame in E.T. Anyway, I don't know if it would be a sort of thing that you'd be looking for. Cheers for the great work and content. So. Thanks for that, Matt. And it definitely is the kind of movie yeah, we're looking it is. for. I'm, I'm intrigued. <laughs> I think I've heard about this movie, but I've never seen it. Wow. No. So, yeah, we might slap that one on the wheel before we give it a spin. So thanks for getting in touch. And do email us and send us your messages via our socials. We do love hearing from you. Yes, please do. And Conrad, today we're doing something a little bit different. We are. We have a special guest. And who is it? Our special guest today is a writer, editor, and also king of our social media (laughs) channels. Friend of the pod, it is Isaac Sutton. Hello, sir. How are you? (laughs) Welcome back. Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you back again. How have you been? I've been good, you know. I've been uh, watching a lot of movies. Uh, I watched Wes Craven's New Nightmare for the first time the other day. It was really really good. (laughs) It's like, wow. Scream who? It was was awesome. Oh, it's, it's so meta, right? Yeah, so meta. really meta. What a good movie! I haven't seen it in a long time. It, does it hold up? Um, elements do. Elements do. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah. Probably a lot like uh, probably a lot like the movie we're gonna talk about today. Mm. <laughs> 
Well, uh, speaking of which, as I suppose you could hop on over to the Oubliette and fetch it for us as us, one of the few special guests we have that we allow to do that. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah, let me just let me just uh, open this weird little hatch thing. <laughs> oh, wow, this is a big-looking tunnel. Yeah, you, you have to climb some ladders for some reason. Okay, oh, I'll, I'll get up on here. I just got shot by a laser. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. We've had some extra security installed. There are now <laughs> 10 seconds. And hurry to up, Isaac. There's not much time. Oh, yeah. I gotta, I'm going. I'm going. <laughs> Feeling better, aren't you, Mr. Jackson? All right. I'm back. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was an adventure, huh? <laughs> Mm. Yeah, we've been having a vermin problem, so we just thought we'd install some extra gadgets yeah. to try and sort that, that out. That was for rats? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what do you have for us? Uh, well, today I pulled out a movie called The Andromeda Strain. Ah, the uh, 1971 adaptation of a Michael Crichton bestseller, no less, directed by Robert Wise the director of The Sound of Music and Star Trek The Motion Picture, Um, uh, starring Arthur Hill, James Olsen, Kate Reed, and David Wayne, who, and yet it's not a cast that I kind of recognise, except Dan and I, we've seen James Olsen before. He was the preacher in Amityville 2. Oh, yes. So how best to summarise the plot, Isaac? Well... (laughs) Okay, let's do it. Let's do this thing. (laughs) So the U.S. (laughs) The U.S. military is deployed to the rural town of Piedmont, Arizona, when their space virus catching satellite crashes and ends up letting loose a microorganism that turns everyone's blood to sand. Initiating protocol wildfire, a team of government-funded scientists are taken to a secret lab above a nuclear bomb to study the two survivors, take samples of the entity, and play with fun little robot arms. It's <laughs> melodramatic memory loss, magnificent microscopes, and monkey torture with the Andromeda strain. Oh, oh my. <laughs> Sounds like we're it. in for a treat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Let's take a break and discuss. And we're back to talk about The Andromeda Strain, a topical virus-themed movie techno-thriller. <laughs> kind <Kinda>. of. <laughs> yeah, so Isaac, this one came off of our patron's choice, you being one of our patrons. So this is all your fault. <laughs> Tell us why you chose this movie and your relationship with it. Had you seen it before? I had. So when I was growing up, My mom kind of sparked a love of movies in me from a really young age. We used to watch Turner Classic all the time together. And the Andromeda Strain came on one night. It was like nine o'clock or something. It was late for me, right, as a Mm preteen. I ended up staying up and watching the whole thing on TV with my mom, who fell asleep at the very, very end, right at the most climactic point of the movie. That sounds like my mom. (laughs) 
So it's always kind of held a little special place in my heart. Always been kind of a little nostalgia bomb back to that night. And just thinking about watching movies with my mom. She's a big sci-fi Star Trek nut, stuff like that. So is it as good as I remembered it as a kid? I don't know about that one. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm excited to talk about it with y'all today. (laughs) Yeah. I I would like to start off as well by saying this is our second Robert Wise movie that we've covered on the Mm. podcast uh, after The Haunting way back in episode 10 with our (laughs) second guest that we ever had on, uh, Sarah Daly. Great episode. Mm. Very different movie to The Haunting. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about Robert Wise, isn't it? Because he seemed to be, let's be honest, such an accomplished filmmaker. I mean, he started off as an editor editing Citizen Kane, for God's sake. This this guy knows what he's doing. Uh, And he seemed to be able to turn his hand to all kinds of genres. So he did crime thrillers, he did dramas, he did musicals like West Side Story and The Sound of Music and won a freaking Oscar for it. So Yeah, The Day the Earth Stood Still as well. Yes. Classic sci-fi. And The Haunting, which is widely regarded to be probably the best haunted house movie, Mm. and directed the first Star Trek movie, although that one, Mm. its reputation varies. I happen to like it. It's my favourite Star Trek movie, oddly enough. Ah, And I think that might speak to how I feel about the Andromeda strain too, because I think there is a similarity between the Star Trek movie he directed in 79 and the Andromeda strain, in that both films are very, very long, and I think a word that you could use is ponderous. <laughs> a fantastic word. Yes. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. It's the sort of film where there's a lot of thinking and a lot of talking, not a great deal of action. No. Yeah, there's a lot of close ups of documents mm. and computer screens and data. Yes. A lot of data. Yes. A lot of reading. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's easily the driest sci-fi movie I have ever watched. It is yes. bone dry. Oh. Like it, it is it's powdered blood dry. It, it's powdered blood dry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But also I think that's one of the movies strength it's its strength and weakness right like it's no wonder almost my entire family fell asleep watching this goddamn thing like it's long they take a lot of time to get from place to place to do a very simple thing that they're talking about doing but the very slow pace of it kind of makes it like very methodical and you know it's a mystery movie more than it is a sci-fi movie in a lot of ways right yeah Mm, yeah yeah. when you think about stuff that's like a noir where there's just like uh what's that one where he breaks his freaking nose uh, um it doesn't matter we'll cut that part <laughs> <laughs> oh chinatown chinatown, oh, chinatown. Yes, yes, yeah yes. he's just walking around los angeles and he's broken nose but the difference is with the andromeda strain they walk around the same hallway different colors different though, colors sometimes well, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> depending on which level they're on yeah I actually quite like the aesthetic of it. I, I think it, it looks great. I think the aesthetic's great, yeah. The production design of this movie is the main reason I remember it so vividly. Mm. You know, it's all very 2001-inspired and stuff like that, right? Right. 
but it's gorgeous i think right i really love the sense of like analog science Mm. they like turn a knob and it zooms in on a microscopic image right and thinking about it it's not like they were filming through microscopes at this time right that's all like handmade stuff that they are like computerizing to make it look digital but it's all analog i I don't know it's just crazy the amount of like effort that went into the look and feel of this movie to really base it in some kind of like weird reality i really enjoyed the production design yeah in terms of science for i mean 71 uh, this film was shot in 1970 though pretty impressive for the science aspect when you really consider the time it was made it does seem very dinky now with, with all these kind of visualizations on a computer that can only do, you know, green dots or red dots. <laughs> but yeah, there's a scene where they're showing the different levels and it looks like how you just take for granted how a digital image of a, um environment looks with all the passageways and stuff but i think they used a projector and like a piece of cardboard that was it like it was yeah they just had to figure it out yeah it's all handmade frame by frame special effects sequences created by douglas trumbull the genius behind all of the special effects in 2001 it's mind-blowing meticulous stuff like Mm. i remember reading his description of how they came up with the microscopic imagery of the andromeda strain itself and i think he's got a one and a half inch perspex hexagon and they're shooting a strobe light through it and taking one frame and then rotating it through so many degrees and then firing another strobe light and opening the shutter again and getting so he was getting multiple exposures of this thing so that he creates a 3d tetrahedron the patience yeah yeah and it sparks the imagination see that's the thing for me the meticulousness Mm. the sort of procedural thriller in terms of all the different things that they have to go through in terms of quarantine and sterilization and a process of elimination to try and figure out like even how big the virus is they have to go through this step of killing rats (laughs) okay let's talk about that scene (laughs) that scene is freaking nuts okay basically they're trying to figure out how big the virus is right this space virus Mm. that crashed in a world town in arizona killed the whole population they've got a sample of it and they're trying to figure out how big it is so they put in these filter sizes Mm. and they kind of bring out a little air tube and then they bring out like a little monkey right (laughs) (laughs) like a full-on monkey They attach him to the air tube and then he literally dies in front of you, right? And it's this like really sobering moment because you've been watching these people go through gorgeous sets, but essentially walk for like 45 minutes at this point, just kind of walk and talk and you don't really feel the gravity of their situation. I would say at least Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of a sense of that when they're walking through the town full of dead people and all that stuff. But then you watch this monkey die And the scene is so jarring and so disturbing that, like, the rest of the movie, the tension goes up by, like, 100,000 points. Yeah, Yeah. and the fact that it's just one shot. There's no cutaways or edit points or anything. You just see an animal die. Yeah. (laughs) There's no special effect. And a very human animal. He's, like, gasping. Yeah. Yeah. It's 
devastating to watch. Yeah. It's really upsetting and they do it more than once. Yeah. It has to be said, it was monitored by the American Humane Association and although they did make these monkeys pass out by giving them a CO2 rich air environment, as soon as they blacked out, somebody rushes in and feeds them a massive dose of oxygen and they wake up immediately. Sure. It's still yeah. incredibly disturbing and I can't imagine anybody would allow this to oh, be shot it's now. It's still an animal suffocating yeah. until it passes, until it passes out. out. It's not good, is it? It's not <laughs> no, good at all. That can't be enjoyable for any animal. Absolutely no. not. Animal torture aside, like, <laughs> there's so much of this movie that is so like, this could never exist in 2020 from this cast of completely unknown people basically right you watch these people mm. none of them are stars at all and they all look just like normal human scientists yeah right it like yes. super sells the believability of this movie and this has like a crazy budget right it's an effects film mm. just trying to imagine selling a movie with no big name actors that's all effects based in 2020 yeah i'm a big fan of the time capsule nature, I guess, of the Andromeda strain, even though a lot of it has not aged well, including monkey torture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you know? I mean, for six and a half million in 1971, holy crap, that's a big budget film. I did feel like some of it felt low budget. Mm. Like at the start, when they're broadcasting um, the first investigators of the town, oh, and yeah. you just hear the whole situation. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, I, I can't breathe, or, or something. It's just like, what? Why aren't we seeing this? Why is this a radio broadcast? Or, or similarly with the. Um, the fighter jet pilot, his helmet starts dissolving. And you see that for a few seconds, and then you just hear him crash on yeah. over the broadcast. Like, <laughs> why aren't we seeing this? It is the most <laughs> dull plane crash ever caught on film, because it's just not caught on yeah. film at all. Just hear it. I yeah. think at least with the opening, with the people driving into the town and then dying... To just hear it is almost more disturbing. Yeah, acceptable. Yeah. It sort of has that documentary realism of, oh, holy shit, this feels real because there's no cameras there. We can only just hear it like the people in the control room. Mm. And it builds the reveal of the town where you walk through and there's just a bunch of dead bodies in the street. That's true. But yeah. the plane crash is inexcusable. It is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think like the acting in that opening sequence really isn't up to snuff comparatively mm, yeah. it's like soap opera to the max yes mm. yeah i would also like to say that this is one of the few movies where i had previously read the book and oh. hadn't seen the movie before so this is a first for the podcast i think i remember really enjoying the book I think I read it in my late teens, early 20s. I thought it was a really riveting story, and I really appreciated the science and the characters. I don't know whether the film kind of represents the book. I mean, it's supposed to be a really faithful adaptation, mm. and I do feel that, but almost too faithful. Mm. I don't know. There's not much cinema in this movie. It's very procedural. <laughs> the score is just 
like they just got a printer and a, you don't like the and, a <laughs> <laughs> and and like a beepy boopy machine and it oh, I don't no. know. Dan doesn't like the score. It's so bleak and like you just can't attach to it. Conrad, do you like the score? Yeah, I kind of like yes! the score. <laughs> I'm not a generally a fan of of Gil Mele. He's a jazz artist primarily. Oh, right. Um, he went through a period where he was experimenting with early electronic music in the sense that he was building circuits to make noises. Mm. That he isn't buying a soft synth here and <laughs> knocking out a few loops and drones. He's building circuits and making all these weird rhythmic sounds. Mm. I don't know. It kind of gives the movie an atmosphere entirely of its own, and it matches the rest of the tone of the movie and the hardware of the movie. It's very cold, it's very procedural, and it's very strange. And there are moments in it where it's, it kind of feels like it is the Andromeda strain. It's kind of yeah. the voice of the Andromeda strain. In I, it. Yeah, I, I completely disagree with that. Like, I think it's what? too cold. It's yeah. too cold. Like, it, it's, 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 there's no emotion in the music at all. And oh. it, it's almost transitional in, in most respects. Like, it doesn't add any mood to it apart from when they first witness the Andromeda strain on the microscope that bit amazing with mm. the score it, it makes it terrifying yeah. what about the tube sequence at the end where he's getting shot by lasers oh, mm. come on <laughs> no, none of that the cheesiest sequence in the world and like the lasers <laughs> I'm so used to cinematic lasers where they go pew and you see the the ray and it's like wow that's cool but with this it's like real lasers we don't see the laser because you know lasers go at the speed of light so why would you see it and you just see the aftermath of the laser but ah uh, it's not very interesting to watch though is it oh man you're breaking my heart oh what I mean I still don't understand why they have motion sensing lasers to destroy lab animals yeah. that's complete overkill the existence of the lasers I agree is bizarre oh, yeah. <laughs> you know shouldn't happen but the laser sequence is I love that sequence no, I can't believe that you don't how like the sequence <laughs> essentially he climbs a ladder to the fourth floor and then he climbs yeah. back down to the third floor and he opens a door. Right. But my thing is, when you say, oh, hey, we have a nuclear bomb underneath this lab, you're going to have to pay that off, right? Yeah. Like, you're going to have yeah, to it's, blow it's, that Of course. It's Chekhov's nuclear bomb. Yes. Yeah. So by the time, you know, and like they have this whole long explanation sequence of like, hey, here's the key to disarm the nuclear bomb and only you get to have it because you're a single man, question mark. That was weird. Yeah. But moving past that, right, they give him this key and it's like, I want to see that happen happen right so when they finally get to the tunnel part and it is like clinical and stuff still just like the rest of the movie i was so into that because normally you hit that action sequence and it's so bombastic and it's so dramatic but this was like the most understated disabling the bomb sequence i've ever seen yeah <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and it totally works for me plus i like the score though right i like that droning sinister industrial noise score which is weird <laughs> for the time but yeah. also weird for our time yeah i love it 
<laughs> yeah, I didn't understand the bit where he encounters that woman as well, and she just runs away. I mean, like, uh, it just that was bad to yeah. me. It drained the tension and suspense. Like, who was this woman? Like, what what is going on here? Well, well, she works there. I guess so. And she's terrified of him because she thinks that he's infected with Andromeda. Right. It's the same as when Levitt has her epileptic fit. Yeah. Nobody will help her. Because they think that she's been infected. Does epilepsy cause major memory loss like that? I feel like there's no way, right? Well, I don't know. I On the commentary, they talk about how certain types of epilepsy cause people to just zone out and then they snap back and they've lost 15 minutes. Really? I mean, I've had that in meetings. So <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> um, especially on Zoom for a year. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair but enough. I guess we just take their word for it. I mean, it's one of those movie conveniences, isn't it? Amnesia. And I don't think amnesia or multiple personality are quite as common as movies would like us to believe. But, mm, yeah, but it's yeah. fun to toy with them for narrative purposes. And again, it's Chekhov's epilepsy, isn't it? It's, <laughs> yeah. it's introduced right at the beginning that this character has a problem with flashing lights and then it becomes critical that she misses something vitally important. And all of this ties into what Michael Crichton's main theme are that people find so compelling is that he he likes looking at how humans design what they think is a perfect system and it goes horribly horribly wrong <laughs> and that's kind of been his theme throughout his at least his techno thrillers maybe not his historical fiction but certainly Westworld which he wrote and directed as a film and has now been rejuvenated as a hit series mm. and of course Jurassic Park directed by Steven Spielberg a classic both theme parks that are supposed to be perfect and nothing could ever go wrong and of course it immediately goes tits up and people die this one again is they've designed this perfect system and I think one of the things that is a shame in this movie is that at the end because it all escalates so quickly you have like the virus has got out it's mutated the nuclear bombs counting down Levitt's having an epileptic fit mm. it escalates big time and it kind of means that you miss some of the major events in there like the fact that Andromeda mutates into a version that's benign mm. I think you'd be lucky to catch that first time you watch the movie. Yeah. Pacing is nuts yeah. in this movie. <laughs> the mutation to becoming benign was a huge part in the book. I remember it being like, oh, that's a bit of a anticlimax. Like, there was such a, a mystery involved in how to contain it and how to deal with it. And then suddenly, oh, it's harmless now. The end. Yeah. And that was the book to me. But with this, I don't remember the lasers or the bomb in the book, but it must have been in there. But I just, for some reason, I don't remember it. Maybe it wasn't in there. I'll have to check. That would be interesting. <laughs> Talking about Michael Crichton, so I read and heard in the commentary that this was his first movie adaptation. Is that wrong, Conrad? No, I think that's right. I think I got confused when I was researching this because one of the books that he wrote under a pseudonym was turned into a TV movie of the week that Crichton directed himself. Mm. And I thought his pseudonym books came first, but actually he was still writing under a pseudonym after The Andromeda Strain, which was the first book that was published under his real name mm -hmm. and was a huge hit. And that gave him the opportunity to adapt one of his other works into a TV movie. And then later on, 
direct his feature debut, Westworld, which was an original script. Mm. I was a huge fan of Michael Crichton um, growing up. I, I've read quite a few of his books, but I didn't realise how many of his books were made into movies. Mm. So there's Jurassic Park, of course, and then uh, in Sphere, Congo, 13th Warrior, Disclosure, I didn't realise was Michael Crichton, mm. uh, Timeline, The Terminal Man, Rising Sun. It's, it's a lot of movies. And he's also written a lot of screenplays, Runaway, Looker, Coma, which is a film that I've seen that's pretty good. Uh, I think the concept is really good, but the uh, execution, maybe not. As you've mentioned, Westworld, and he also directed The Great Train Robbery. I yeah. didn't know that he directed that. Yeah, it's based on a novel of his too. So he would do historical things like The Great Train Robbery and The 13th Warrior. So yeah, historical fiction and techno thrillers. But yet he has a dark side as well. So Disclosure, I remember, was kind of criticised at the time because as an expose of sexual harassment in the workplace, but it's a guy being sexually harassed by a woman mm. kind of got women a little bit upset because it's like, yeah, that's not really the issue, or at <laughs> least not very often. Mm. And he was also, towards the end of his life, quite an ardent climate change denier and spoke on it publicly and to the Senate. Right. So a complicated figure, shall we say, yeah. in retrospect. Mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do think his medical background, because I did hear he got an MD at Harvard. Mm. I think it makes his writing much more plausible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why Jurassic Park is so good, because mm. it's like, wow, that is possible. That could possibly happen. Yeah. And also Coma, which he directed, that's based on a novel by Robin Cook. So he didn't write that one, but he wrote the screenplay. And, and oh, right. yes. the first half of the movie really focuses on giving audiences a good insight into the procedural, matter of fact, business like nature of being a doctor. And I don't think audiences had ever seen that before. And, mm. and also, Michael Crichton created ER. The TV series. What? Yeah. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm learning so many things about Michael Crichton. (laughs) Yeah. He was really quite an accomplished guy, just breaking new ground in all kinds of areas, including computer games at one point in the like 8-bit era. Really? Yeah. Wow. He's a pretty amazing guy, yeah, so it's kind of disappointing to find out that he was... A climate change denier? Yeah, sort of denying basic (laughs) science towards the end of his life, which is a little bit disappointing. Kind of matches his themes of human incompetence. Yeah, quite. (laughs) You know? Yeah, Yeah. but yeah, it does lend a sort of credibility to his work. And also this idea of what he called a false document, whereby a lot of his novels are just filled with printouts and faxes and statistics and tables of data. Mm. And I think Robert Wise and Douglas Trumbull recreated that in this movie. So even from the opening titles, you're seeing documents and Mm. close-ups of like key fobs with words on and close-ups of buttons with things written over the top so that you can read them. Yes, and and often items that weren't that interesting or that important as well, but you really got to read everything. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's 1971, I guess. You've got to think about how savvy audiences were at the time. I think this was quite groundbreaking in a way. It was a hit. Mm, I mean, I feel like this one just barely makes it into the oubliette in general when I suggested it, right? Like, it was a big hit, the big names attached to it, all this stuff. But nobody I've ever talked to has seen it, talks about it. You know, it's not very important to them or anything like that. But I think that 
the sneaky thing about the Andromeda strain, at least for me, is that lingering atmosphere of the scientists of like this process, right? Like it is so sciencey. It feels like you're watching these people do their like daily job, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And that's so effective for me. And it builds that tension at the very end for me because of all of that legwork they're doing up at the top. There's this one scene It's during the cleaning process. The decontamination sequence is, like, just bonkers in general. (laughs) It's like they walked into a Willy Wonka science lab. (laughs) Like, every room is is. different. Don't eat the blueberry. That's exactly what it's like. That's such a good pull. But, yeah, so they're in, like, the... (laughs) They're in like the like body cavity search room of the Willy Wonka factory. <laughs> and like yeah. they 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 try to get the computer to recognize their voice, right? And the computer won't listen to them. Just like when you use Siri, you're like, hey Siri, oh, hey Siri, Siri. That's relatable, right? yeah. Yeah. But they do that in this movie, made in 1971, right? Mm. And it just emphasizes the human aspect of everything that they're doing in this moment right and how like completely powerless all these people are but also how technical they are how advanced they are how i don't know i really enjoy like the themes of this movie and how they play out even though it's so slow and so like some points just seem like total melodramatic cheesy nonsense (laughs) you know i'm i i i still think that the parts that work almost definitely come from Crichton and they work hard and well in their adaptation. Yeah, I think this movie does go against cliches and what you would expect with certain scenes in a movie like this. Like when we are being introduced to the characters as an audience, like normally, you know, in a Ocean's Eleven type film, you would have like cool music and they would be doing something really extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. And be like, oh, this is this character. And we go to the next character. Oh, they're doing this. And, right. and then they assemble a team and they get together. It's like, oh yeah, this is... Nobody's playing blackjack with Brad Pitt in this one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's got slow mode it's some sort of like uh, 60s like i don't know motown track yeah. honey put on my it. tie <laughs> like that, yeah, that's how they find exactly. these people yeah call but someone they don't else in this movie <laughs> not in this movie it's no music just like one character after the other everyone looks the same apart from one woman and she doesn't want a bar of it um, but similarly with a lot of like the procedural scenes, you know, in like CSI, you would have like some funky, like electronic music playing and it would be a montage of like slides and it would be cool. And uh, I love the scene in a hot fuzz where they're doing procedural paperwork and it's like cool music over it. It's like, <laughs> That's what they would normally do, but they don't. With yeah. this, we just see it in real time. And this one, they're just like, them talking hey, that about monkey died. Everything. Yeah, let's get another monkey <laughs> yeah. out there. Kill another monkey. Oh, there's a green fleck of paint. Yeah. Can you zoom in? Yeah. Uh, just zoom in again. <laughs> zoom in more. Yeah, keep zooming. <laughs> right? Yeah. And like, that's it. That's the, that's the big reveal. Now, there is drama in that scene, though, because Ruth wants to use two cameras at once, and that's almost like a full-on argument over that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. such a petty argument. I know. But I love that, you see. I do, too. I just eat it up. <laughs> Now it's time for Random Trivia! So Dan, what fascinating piece of trivia did you discover after testing it on multiple monkeys today? (laughs) 
So many dead monkeys. Uh, so the, the trivia I have today is about the effects footage and props for Andromeda Strain. I hope this is true, but I did read it on IMDb. <laughs> so the effects footage and props from Andromeda Strain went on to be used in a number of TV shows in the 70s and 80s. Mm. Uh, the Six Million Dollar Man, Bionic Woman, Knight Rider, Airwolf, and Buck Rogers in the 25th century. So uh, Andromeda Strain, the movie that keeps on giving. Never throw anything away when you can reuse it on a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Especially in the 70s and 80s. Oh, yeah. Uh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our trivia. So let's talk about the characters for a bit. I think our protagonist is meant to be Dr. Hall. He's not. Yeah, well, he's the youngest and he's the one that defuses the bomb at the end. But I don't think as a character he ages particularly well. I mean, certainly the way that he treats women. I can understand why he's single if he treats women this way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the way he treats his nurse, Karen Anson, he doesn't even introduce himself to her and then refers to her as Miss Medcom. Mm. mocking her as though she's just a computer technician and dismisses her ideas and ignores her. And yeah. then he's chatting up the female computer voice because he says <laughs> that it's luscious. That was mm. so weird. Yeah. <laughs> he's a pervert. Yeah, I don't know. I don't find him all that compelling. I mean, I know he's supposed to be so dedicated to his patients that he's ignoring all the niceties. And that's supposed to be admirable, I guess, but mm. not all that keen on him. I think Without doubt, the star of the show has to be Ruth Levitt. Yes. Who's played by Kate Reed, not an actress that I'm particularly familiar with, but boy, does she make an impression in this movie. Oh, she's great. Yeah. I love her. She's sarcastic. She's like everything that all the rest of the cast members aren't. She brings such an energy to every sequence. Yeah, she, she kind yeah. of reminds me of the Doctor from um, Outland yes. as well. Just like, no nonsense. Yeah, Don't bullshit me. You know, <laughs> I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, I just love that because she's a professional woman in what has traditionally been a very male sphere. At least that's the way it's presented on screen. Mm. And like Frances Sternhagen's character, originally her character was male in the book. It was the screenwriter Nelson Giddings' suggestion that they switch it to being female, which Robert Wise was originally resistant to because of Raquel Welsh's involvement in Fantastic Voyage in 1966, where she was basically just there to look great in a diving costume, I think. So he was resistant to that, but Kate Reed is not Raquel Welsh. <laughs> she has no patience with the decontamination process. She mocks the men mercilessly, but she contributes just as much as the guys in solving this problem. Yeah. And it's just great to see her there. Mm. Yes, agreed. I think it's one of the reasons why I was a little disappointed by her epilepsy causing almost all of the problems. I was like, don't do that to Kate Reed. She's the most interesting character here she's the one who's when they find out that the reason that the andromeda strain exists in the first place on earth is because the u.s was trying to turn it into a bioweapon what no way <laughs> she's the one who's like upset about that pushing back against that right she's like the hero in so many of these shots but mm. she's also like the downfall of like the whole mm. structure because of her epilepsy yeah i wanted her to be the hero who kicks everybody else's butt yeah <laughs> i found the female characters actually the most compelling part of this movie even mm. the black assistant k 
Karen? Yeah, Karen, Karen Anson. Anson. Um, we finally do find out her name, even though Hall isn't interested in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, played by um, Paula Kelly. She's great as well. She, mm. like, puts up with a lot of groping yeah. from yeah. the other guy that's just poor. Yeah. Did y'all get that he was supposed to be drunk? I didn't process that until the very end of the movie. Oh, yeah, the sterno drinker, yeah. Yeah, yeah I did get that. He was the town drunk, and that's the reason that he was still alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what kind of message that's sending. <laughs> I had to look at what sterno was. Yeah. yeah. I had no idea. It's not that it's supposed to be consumed. No. It's a, a can of ethanol and methanol. It's also been dubbed canned heat. Oh, wow. <laughs> they used to light it for heat. But uh, during Prohibition, apparently, it was quite popular with homeless people. They would strain it through, like, a sock. Oh. That's why he, he calls it squeeze, yes. because he would squeeze it squeeze. through, like, a sock or a cloth. Oh, wow. To filter it out and then mix it with fruit juice. It used to be called jungle juice. Oh, wow. So, yeah, wow. That's something I was not aware of yeah. down here in Australia. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was something I, I'm in America, dude. We don't use squeeze. What the heck is that? Yeah. <laughs> no. Right. No, the female characters were definitely the most compelling people in the movie. The guy that's in charge, Dr. Stone, I mean, his surname is very apt. He's the most boring, just charisma vacuum that's ever existed. He's so much of the 50s. This is a 70s movie, but clearly, you know, he's one of those guys that got to his 20s, decided on a hairstyle and a way of dressing and behaving and just stuck with it. Right. And so yeah. now it's the 70s and he still looks like 50s guy. Yeah. This reminds me of Mystery Science Theory when they had this short from the 50s where it showed all of these guys in suits with these 50s haircuts descending the steps from a Pan Am flight and sort of like walking briskly away. And I think Mike Nelson said on the voice track, Hi, I'm Bob Business. Which way is business? (laughs) (laughs) That's Dr. Stone all over. He's just 50s scientist guy. Yeah. Tie is way too tight on that dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> yeah, I found most of the characters really boring. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Like, there wasn't any motivations. There wasn't any backstories. It was just a bunch oh, of normal... I don't know about scientists. that. You did... Uh, as they're descending the levels, you do get a little bit of insight into each of them. You have these sort of flashbacks. They're a little bit awkward, actually. They're sort of these split screen. The flashbacks are strange. Like it's like a dream, dream oh, sequence. Yes. Yeah. yes. I, I had no idea what I was watching. She's mm. thinking back to a meeting she had with a vague German scientist who was like, <laughs> space viruses will kill us all. And then they do like this close up to her in a spotlight, just nodding to herself, like in <laughs> meditation. It, yeah. It's really bizarre. It's very strange. Very strange. But it's the one time you do get some insight into Dr. Stone, though, because he has all of these flashes of the dead people he saw in the town. Mm. And then you see an image of his wife dead mm-hmm. in her 70s party clothes. Oh, is that what that was? Yeah. I thought it was just another person from the town. No, it's not. It's him imagining his wife dead. Oh. So you do get a little insight into their emotional selves but yeah <laughs> not a lot yeah and it's pretty awkward i, don't, I didn't get that i yeah. i think i was too distracted by the presentation of that yeah so there has been another adaptation of andromeda strain oh. the 2008 tv miniseries yeah which i saw the trailer for 
and I immediately just said, "Nope, that's a nope, that's a nope." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it looks awful, and it's like between two thousand two thousand ten in terms of sci fi and effects heavy TV shows, just does not date well. Like the CGI in that decade was bad. <laughs> But it's got some interesting people. It's got Will from Will and Grace, yeah. and it's got Captain Holt from yeah. Brooklyn Nine-Nine in it. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it was with the noughties. They loved adapting things and remaking things, and they were really shit at it. Yeah. I don't. It's like they did a remake of Salem's Lot in the noughties, and I really wish they hadn't. Mm. Fortunately, the first to remake things yet again means that it will come up again, and I would not be surprised if somebody's already eyeing the Andromeda strain. I would not be surprised, especially uh, especially after COVID as yeah. well. It just seems very relevant. Mm. And the concept is still mind-blowing for me, the whole crystalline structure of the microbe and the underground base as well. The lab was like something I'd never really seen before. Yeah. Yeah. Secret space virus is just a good thing. You know, it's a good idea. Yeah. And something as procedural as this post the Chernobyl TV series, I think could go down really well. Yeah. Yeah. I do have to say, though, for a movie about a killer microbe, apart from the start with the town, there's not a lot of death in this movie. No. What a bore death. Plenty of monkey death. (laughs) That's true. That's true. That's true. But I, I don't know. I, I felt like there was a missed opportunity to really inject some more energy and tension in the film, having, I don't know, some more death. But yeah. then you'd miss the, like, really interesting microscope debate. Mm. I want to see that microscope debate, okay, Dan? <laughs> Two cameras or one? <laughs> Two cameras or one. That was that. I'll take that, okay? <laughs> Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Moobly Awards! Hey, it's the Moobly Awards. It's where we present our favourite self-destructing parts of the film in a number of laser-melting categories. (laughs) (laughs) I love the (laughs) Mooblies. Best quote. I think it's probably fair to say that Ruth Levitt has most of the best lines in this movie because she has so many great put downs and I think it's when she's introduced to Hall that I really enjoyed it they said uh, do you know each other and Hall says by reputation only and Ruth comes back with ah yes up until now we've had to worship from afar (laughs) (laughs) she clearly has no respect for this man Mm. Yeah. And she just wants him to know it before they start working together. It's great. <laughs> My favorite quote, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's it's the technician that they meet in one, I think it's a red room. And they're asking, oh, you know, have we had any calls, any messages? And he just says, I have one thing to do, just one. Everything else is fully automatic, computerized, and self-regulated. I listen for a little bell just here. Dingling. And oh, yeah. I just thought, what? <laughs> how how did this guy get this job? Did he he went through like university, he got an engineering degree just to sit in a room and listen for a bell? 
and then be a real turd about it too. (laughs) (laughs) And then he can't even find the paper stuck in the machine. I mean, this guy should have been fired for sure. (laughs) I know. You've got one job, man. One job. And he failed. Did you have a quote? I do have a quote. So this one's a lot more dramatic, right? I think I just like the emotion of the moment. One of the doctors, uh, Dutton, Charles Dutton, he gets locked in with uh, part of the Andromeda strain and he thinks it's still contagious that he's going to die from it. And uh, in the meantime, his buddies are all trying to decide, like, how do they handle this situation? And he goes, experiment with your own lives, damn it. Right. He's like freaking out. (laughs) It's really it's a great moment. I'm I'm a big fan of that one. And it's a little funny, but it's also like pretty sobering. And yeah, it's good. I like that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Best hair or costume. I love the Daft Punk helmet from the decontamination oh, yeah. sequence. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It, it's so That's good. That's what I put out to. Yeah. The, the, the <laughs> Xenon room where they get to put on a bedazzled sequin, like... Yeah, Kanye <laughs> like West a, like moment. A, yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> while standing butt naked in like a shiny yeah. room. <laughs> well, oh, it's While awesome. they get their skin burned off. Yeah, that, <laughs> that scene. <laughs> yeah. Well, my favourite was the uh, costume that they have to wear when they're working on their patients because it's like this weird combination of a naive 50s vision of an astronaut spacesuit attached to curtains on a rail, yeah. which I yeah. think is great. I think it's a great really image, bubbly. though. Yeah. It looks great, except just not very practical when you want to get out. Not at you've got all. to back up. No. <laughs> Most 70s moment. I'm going to go with Serge's 70s moment when we did Capricorn 1, but I guess it's not exactly a government conspiracy, but it's a top-secret government, you know experiment i guess that's going on in a secret lab Mm. underground so the 70s was all about that it was yeah it's not quite post watergate is it 1971 Mm. but it's sort of the vietnam era where distrust in the government is starting to Mm. bubble up in terms of their motives and their treatment of citizens so yeah you're very right i mean i i had something sort of along the same lines but um well <laughs> so one element of it is but i wrote down unnecessary boobs <laughs> yes because, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh they show that dead girl's boobs yeah they do <laughs> it's a completely unnecessary shot of a dead woman with her her breasts on display and of course she has a hippie peace symbol <laughs> necklace too so that the the reactionary conservatives can look at it and say, look at that stupid dead hippie. Oh, but yeah. they can also enjoy her boobs at the same time. Yeah. So it's kind of a twofer. Terrible. Um, Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Mine was like the vague socialite party sequence that they recruit oh, Dr. Shut yeah. Stone from. It's like yeah. every single second of that sequence screams 1970. <laughs> like the styling, the, the dialogue, like there's like nothing about it that's anywhere close to modern or even 1980. Like it is mm, stuck no. in that mm. time period. Yeah. Favorite scene. My favorite scene by far is the exploration of the town of Piedmont. Just because it is, well, I'm a sucker for exploring derelict spacecraft or 
deserted ships or deserted towns where you don't know what's happened and there's bodies everywhere and you've got to try and figure it out. I I don't know. I just always love that in movies. Whenever that they have that, that sequence, I'm always really happy. Yeah. So Yeah, that sequence yeah. was very airy and and because you had no mm. idea what was going on, seeing all the bodies and the use of the split screen was actually very effective in that in that scene as well. Yeah. I did laugh though at the close-ups <laughs> of the bodies because you could clearly see they were still alive because their <laughs> eyes were moving. You could see their yeah. <laughs> stomach going up and down as they were breathing. Uh, for the most part, a very, very effective scene. Yeah. There's even a slight moment of comedy when Hall t- tips the town doctor onto the floor and pulls his pants down. Oh, yeah. And says to Dr. Stone, look at his butt. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Stone says that isn't funny. How about you, uh, Isaac? I think my favorite scene's the monkey murder, unfortunately. Like, it, it, it's wow. such a break from the rest of what the movie is i mean it's the it was the moment as a kid and now that made me like kind of snap back into it right yes most cliche sci-fi moment so i'll go first with the uh the last sequence with the uh, <laughs> self-destruct <laughs> sequence counting down yeah. lasers uh, a key that only one person has mere seconds to go before he saves the day. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a classic with pretty much every action thriller Bond movie ever made. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. it is. And I, I noted down just one aspect of that, which is the female computer voice counting down because it's always a female computer uh, yes. voice. That's true. And she's That's always true. preternaturally calm about it. It's always... T minus five minutes. It's never holy shit. Run. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always this soothing motherly voice yeah. telling you you have three minutes to live. Yeah, <laughs> it's just really weird. But we would get that in every movie after that, from Alien onwards. Mm, so <laughs> maybe this was the first. I don't know. <laughs> Best special effect. I think mine's the microscope shots. Mm. Yeah, it's mine too. I mean, it's it's Douglas Trumbull, the, the man's a genius, and he worked hard with all these analog technologies creating these things, so you have to give him credit for them, and they're pretty amazing to look at just yeah. from a, you know, a, a visual storytelling point of view and also just fascinating as well in terms of how he did them. So I would go for those. Mm. Yeah, I, similarly with me, I, I would choose the robot arms. They they just looked like they were <laughs> actually, you know, responding to the scientists. Like, I don't know whether they were. Was it just puppetry? Was it just a, a guy pulling strings with the arms uh, out of shot? I'm not sure, but um, it was convincing to me. Yeah, it could be real, because I know that one of the biggest things in the budget was that they spent a lot of money hiring real scientific equipment some of it very experimental to litter the film with so right 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 favorite sound effect my favorite sound was one that kind of took me out of the movie for a little while it's like really close to the end of the film where they're looking at andromeda through an electron uh, microscope yeah. I read it. <laughs> <laughs> and they turn this pump on and it's this lovely film <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> the vacuum tube. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It's like a, a popping noise, but it sounds like it's gurgling liquid at the same time. Yeah. It's yeah. like someone just took the stopper out of the sink or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's Willy Wonka again. <laughs> Willy Wonka's oh, virus lab. Yeah. Teleportation room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would say similarly, <laughs> an effect that was like, oh yeah, this is a movie, <laughs> was uh, whenever they throw their their clothes in the furnace, it always goes up, whoosh, you know, oh, like, yeah. it's like, yeah. like they've thrown kerosene on, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, these guys are alcoholics. Yeah. <laughs> Most funniest moment. I think my favorite quote of the movie is when they're talking about... um, So basically the president of the United States, he has delayed the launch of a nuclear bomb strike on the random Arizona Uh, town. (laughs) And the whole time the scientists are pushing for him to blow this freaking place up because it's a virus that's going to kill everybody and then they find out that nuclear radiation makes the virus grow so they yeah. have to call the president up and say hey we were wrong actually sorry <laughs> and when they do the president's underling says the boss will be pleased to know that he made the right decision on the 712 in the first place and uh, Dr. <laughs> Ruth says congratulate him on his scientific insight and I love <laughs> that scene it's so clo- it's so good <laughs> So good. So obsessed, even to the president. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. She has absolutely no shame. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. The funniest part for me was uh, <laughs> when Mark Hall is flirting with the announcement voice when she's waking him up. And then the the answering service supervisor gets on the on the line and he says he asks him you know you should behave yourself like we're in a professional environment and then he says that the voice the voice actually belongs to Gladys Stevens who is 63 years old she lives in Omaha and makes her living taping messages for voice reminder systems and it's just like oh he definitely was barking up the wrong tree there <laughs> For me, it was the scene where the politicians were arguing as well, but for a different reason. And that's because whenever they're talking to the senators, they seem to have their own dedicated camera because they pop up on different TV screens. And at one point, they're turning to each other on the TV screens as though they can spatially tell that their TV screen is on the left or on the right. And it just so much looks like it's going to turn into a Zucker Brothers movie sketch, something from Top Secret or Airplane. And they're going to start fighting on the TV screens or something. I don't know. It just made me giggle. Mm. I thought it was silly. (laughs) And that's our Moobleys. Yeah. Hi, I'm Matt Conley, and you are listening to Movie Oubliette. Okay, okay, it's final verdict time. Should Andromeda Strain be released to infect the whole world with its cinematic crystalline supremacy adored by all, (laughs) or should it be buried in the underground lab of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, a.k.a 
the oubliette, never to be released <laughs> to the public again, lost forever. Isaac, I noticed as well, this After Sunshine, they're both kind of technological, sciencey films. Yeah. Um, mm. Does Andromeda Strain hold up? <laughs> I like it. Uh, I'm a fan. I wouldn't begrudge anyone from putting it back in. Uh, you know, I think my my hot take on Andromeda Strain is that it's a very personal movie to me. It's a very specific and kind of peculiar movie. It's a movie that if you love sci-fi, right, and you love mystery stuff like that, uh, I'd say give it a shot for sure. Um, and I think that on that basis, I'd let it out of the oubliette. Mm. But... Also, you know, if if it's you know if you want that to languish <laughs> under the laser guns, you feel free. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I'll go first because I, I I have a feeling I I know what Conrad thinks about this movie, but uh, <laughs> this movie for me, I appreciate the science, I appreciate the procedural aspect of it. I think it has been very influential in paving the way for procedural like crime thrillers, I feel mm-hmm. would would have been influenced by this movie. I appreciate this adaptation being faithful to the book and it being quite non-Hollywood in its presentation of characters and science. But boy was I bored watching this movie. <laughs> I thought this was the dullest movie <laughs> I have seen in a long time. Uh, the score just drained all life from the film. And the characters just so boring. And the last sequence, just a big cliche. And I was happy when the credits started rolling. So, Oof. yeah, um, I don't know. I, for some reason, it just didn't hit with me. Spiked that uh, yeah. one in the oubliette. That yeah. was a volleyball serve. <laughs> Conrad. Um, well, I, I think, yes, you probably guessed. So this this does appeal to me. I, I, I can't explain exactly why. There's just something about the dry, methodical, very thoughtful plodding nature (laughs) that really appeals to me. I don't know what it is. I'm I'm the kind of person that likes writing long lists and lining things up on shelves and watching a bunch of scientists who look like they could be scientists in an extremely unsexy way, in extremely unflattering, unsexy clothes, slowly working out what this virus is in the most methodical way you can imagine with Douglas Trumbull's visualizations on the screen and this weird otherworldly soundtrack from Gil Millet underneath mm. just pressed all my buttons. And even though it's two hours and 15 minutes long, I think it just flies by for me. I'm just, <laughs> yeah, show me another graph. Go on. Yes. <laughs> I just, I just, I don't know. I find it bizarrely intoxicating in the same way that I found the Chernobyl series intoxicating and I think if you like that kind of stuff and you like Robert Wise's Star Trek movie then you're going to lap this up if that kind of thing is death to you (laughs) and you'd much rather have more dead monkeys and lasers than maybe you want to watch the A&E version of it from 2008 or 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 something else. Just something else. Maybe go watch uh, A Close Encounters. Same special effects guy. (laughs) You know, like... (laughs) 
yeah, a bit more going on. <laughs> but I still think it's an impressive and interesting and, and fascinating piece of work. And I would check it out. I would say to people, yes. check it out. So I'm with Isaac. I'm, I'm going to let this one go. Yes. So ad numbered. Ah. <laughs> So turn off those lasers and <laughs> let that monkey fly. Yeah. <laughs> Experiment with your own lives, damn it. I'm out of here. Happy ending for the monkey. That's <laughs> <laughs> all we really wanted. <laughs> oh, so, Isaac, it's been amazing having you on the show again. Thank you so much for suggesting this movie and for coming along and sharing your, your wit and wisdom about it. <laughs> Where can people follow you and find out more about what you think about movies? Of course. Uh, you can go ahead and follow me at Isaac Lastname on Twitter and Instagram. I also have a website, www.isaaclastname.com. I post uh, very, very, very occasional uh, film reviews and <laughs> blog posts on that. Um, but yeah, thank you all so much for having me on. It's always such a massive joy whenever i'm in a room with y'all so or on a skype whatever whatever we're on in a zoom room yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's been great yeah Uh, it's a bit freaky though that every time you put a movie into the patrons pick and we spin the wheel it comes off yeah how is what is going on with that i feel like You it know? looks like a fix. It does. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, I'm not trying to steal from you guys. I feel like I'm going to stop posting in there. <laughs> Just give other people a chance. Oh, we're going to spin the wheel again really soon because there's some great movies on there and we're really keen to do some mm. more of them. So we're, yes. we're going to leave everything that people have suggested so far and give it another spin. Oh, mm-hmm. great. Yeah. <laughs> and listeners, if you want to keep up to date with Movie Oubliette, you can find us on all platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, as Movie Oubliette. And if you'd like to email us, we're at movie.oubliette at gmail.com. We love your letters. Yes, yes, we do. And please rate and review us if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts or whatever other podcast platform you are listening to us on. Yeah, and if you want to support the show, then head on over to Patreon, where for as little as a dollar you can nominate and vote on films to appear in future episodes and get access to expanded parts of the show. And if you give us $5, then you get access to Minisodes, monthly extra episodes where we talk about recent movies, which is great fun. Yes, we have one coming up about the movie Saint Maud. Mm-hmm, yeah, so look land- out for that. Yeah, landed on Amazon Prime this month. So yeah, check that out. Okay, Conrad, what are we doing next episode? Well, we're doing something a bit different because of Iconicon. So we will be appearing as special guests on the Dreamland podcast. That's Retro Blasting's podcast, mm-hmm. talking about the Abyss the James Cameron 1989 sci-fi underwater movie. And the hosts of Dreamland, so Melinda and Aaron, will be joining us on our next episode to talk about... Leviathan. Oh, another watery film. (laughs) Yes, but but we get the uh, the oubliette version, so it's the one that nobody remembers. Uh Uh-huh. Directed by George P. Cosmatos, who I believe directed some of the Rambo movies, uh, starring Peter Weller of Robocop, 
Richard Krenner, Amanda Pays, Daniel Stern, Ernie Hudson and Hector Elizondo with a score by Jerry Goldsmith and special effects oh. by Stan Winston. I mean, oh. it's got to be great, surely. Wow. <laughs> has to be. Surely it's better than James Cameron's movie. It must be. It must be. <laughs> so, yes, join us on uh, Dreamland for the Abyss and on our own podcast for Leviathan. It's going to be lots of wet and wild fun, I'm sure. Oh. <laughs> 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 Thanks again, Isaac, for joining us and going on a journey through science again. <laughs> with science another te- techie film. <laughs> yes. Hooray. All right, listeners. Tune in next time. Bye. 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 We review the films others tend to forget. Come with us and don't know not the movie you be yet. I have the answer when I know why a 69-year-old sterno drinker with an ulcer is like a normal six-month-old baby.